Welcome back to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. Saturday mornings at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Danielle Smith about a few of the issues of the day, but really, that's your opportunity to speak with the Premier directly to ask your questions, voice your concerns, whatever's on your mind. Uh, speak with the Premier one-on-one. Please keep it short and please keep it respectful. All right, Premier Danielle Smith ready and waiting to take your calls or texts. The numbers in Calgary, 403-974-8255. At Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Premier Smith, welcome to today's show. Nice to talk to you again. Well, I'm sure our listeners today are going to have plenty of questions regarding the budget that was brought down on Tuesday. And on the face of it, looks pretty good. A billion dollars in additional health care spending, a 15% boost for continuing care to help seniors, more money for teachers and to modernize schools, more money for economic stimulation. In fact, a whopping $68 billion in spending. One well-known columnist says your government is spending, not like drunken sailors, but just like well-lubricated ones. And yet, yet, there are those who say it's still not enough. The Calgary Chamber of Commerce, disappointed there wasn't more for downtown revitalization. Students are critical, saying they're not getting more help from higher tuition costs this year. There's no mention of funds for a new Calgary arena. Struggling small businesses say they expected a tax break to help with their financial burden. So my question is, could your government have done a better job of allocating funds, perhaps spending less in some areas, more in others, to cover a broader base of needs to address those shortcomings? You know, Wayne, this has always been the challenge, I think, of of trying to manage during times when we have surplus revenues is that there are a lot of demands and there are a lot of priorities. But but we knew as a government that we had to get the right balance on this. So let me just frame out a couple of things so people understand the approach that we took. We wanted to make sure that we had some discipline in place. And so we put some rules in place. This is one of the things that Finance Minister Travis Taves and I work very hard on. And one of the rules that we have in place is that we will not increase year-over-year spending by more than inflation plus population growth. And so that has always been a very, a very a standard in conservative budget making is that you do not want to massively increase operational spending because you've got to keep your operational spending growing at the same rate as the revenues coming in. And Maybe some of the, the criticism that you're hearing from those who say we aren't spending enough is that uh, inflation was 6.2%. Uh, inflation plus population was 6.2% last year. And we managed to keep our year-over-year operational growth to 4.1%. A part of that was because our uh, ministries have done such a, an incredible job of negotiating uh, good and fair collective bargaining agreements. And so that allows for us to, to have a, a little bit of additional capacity that we're able to then build into helping ensure that we are putting money aside. Because this is the thing I have heard people want. I have heard that people are disappointed that we're no longer debt-free the way uh, Ralph Klein got us to be. I've heard people are disappointed that we haven't invested in the Lougheed legacy of of putting more dollars into the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. And so it was important for for both me and Travis to ensure that we had surpluses in the future so that 50% would apply to debt repayment so that we could see a line of sight to becoming debt-free again as well as we're going to be shoring up the Heritage Savings Trust Fund, putting $2 billion in this year and keeping all of the investment income in that fund so that we can grow it over time. 
the the thing to to realize is that when you make those kinds of decisions now, it pays huge dividends. If if we had just had that strategy of invest investing investment income, we would have had three hundred billion in the Heritage Savings Trust Fund, generating twenty billion in investment income. That would wean us off our reliance on on resource revenues. It would allow us to reduce taxes. It would allow us to shore up spending. And so that's the balance that we were trying to have. So yes, I understand that there are uh, lots of uh, NDP supporters and lots of NDP. MLAs who wished that we had spent every last dollar that came in, but we didn't think that would be responsible. No, we, some, we needed to get us on a, a, a solid fiscal track. Some critics say the budget is a complete reversal of your fiscal policy just from November and that it's geared to get votes. Your response? It, it's not because, as I mentioned, the, the things that were a priority to me is keeping year-over-year operational spending in line with inflation plus population growth, having a debt repayment plan, and having a savings plan. Those were essential elements of this plan. However, I mean, we have to remember that we have a, a, a federal partner who has uh, has assisted us in developing two important new strategies on both healthcare and childcare that are expensive. I mean, we have a brand new social program, which is our support for uh, for daycare, which is going to allow ultimately over the next three years for parents to have ten dollar a day daycare. That was something that was that was widely supported. And there is additional federal funding coming in for that. So I, I think that people need to put it into context there. In addition, uh, the federal government, even though they didn't uh, give us as much as we wanted, which we were asking for um, a $1.8 billion, they gave us $518 million, which we felt, you know what, that's a good start. That'll allow us to shore up our home care and our continuing care and our long-term, uh, our long-term care and our primary care. We were investing $2 billion in building out primary care so that everybody can have a medical home or a family doctor. And so to me, if we're going to have those dollars coming in from the federal government, then I, I think people, the public expects that we're going to spend it on the priorities that we've agreed to on matching. So that increases. The other thing I'd say is that people need to also remember that in the NDP era, we were having consecutive quarters of people leaving this province, 13 consecutive quarters where people left. When you have population decline, of course, you lose those tax revenues, but you also don't have the expenses associated. We've turned that around. We now have uh, consecutive quarters of people moving in here at record levels. When pe- more people come, they bring more tax dollars, but they also need schools and hospitals. They need uh, care for their kids. And in, they need in, a place edu- to live, in too. education. They need a place to live. They, yeah. they need to have health care. Uh, so, so part of it, I think people just need to understand why that inflation plus population measure is so important is that because the more people, the more success we have in attracting businesses here, the more success we have in attracting people here, those numbers are going to go up, but we're going to make sure that they go up in a way that is affordable and sustainable. All right. I want to start off uh, without going to the phones first. I want to hit a text message or two before we hit the phones. Phones, by the way, are full. Lots of people with uh, lots of questions. So this first text message, uh, and I promised that I would ask it, and we have asked it on previous shows, uh, will Premier Smith continue to give the shaft to condo owners concerning energy rebates uh we will i i understand why condo owners feel like they're being left out of that program and so here's the here's the issue because i've talked with matt jones our affordability and utilities minister about that the issue we were trying to to sort out is that we want to make sure that when we're giving these kinds of supports to people that they're not taxable because imagine how much of a a pain that would be. You get a $500 rebate and then the federal government goes and takes 40% of it. So that's what we want. we've been trying to, to do is make sure that we're implementing it in a way that it is not going to be seen as a cash payment. Um, uh, Minister Jones tells me he thinks he has a solution 
and it will likely involve having a certain amount of dollars that go directly to the condo board so that they can then um, reduce the amount that they're charging uh, each of their unit holders. That That is likely the approach that we'll end up taking, but it, it's going to take it just a couple more uh, months to sort out. And the notion would be that we'll, we'll give one lump sum at the end of the, the, the period that we're providing these subsidies. By the time we get to April, it'll be $500. But I can tell you, we've heard loud and clear. It's just not fair. It's not, it, and it wasn't our intention. It was just difficult to do. I hope people understand why yeah, it is we needed to sort through that. Complicated issue for sure. Yeah. Uh, on that note of the affordability, uh, our second text, uh, well, got lots, but here's the other one. Uh, a question of if you give more money away for deserving Alberta residents, why not give to single people over 60? We get left out. This one from Karen. Well, again, it's as I say, I know that the need is very high out there, and I, I know that the, that there's a concern around affordability. We heard that loud and clear, and it's part of the reason why we invested so much in making sure that all of the costs that go into increasing the cost of everything were kept down. So the gasoline and diesel uh, tax um, uh, holiday, and I know people say, well, don't give me that, that as an example, but it is a huge example because we just posted a comparison of what the gas prices are in Hope in BC versus I think it was one of the areas around Edmonton. And it's $1.18 here versus $1.82 there. That is a massive difference. When you think about every person who has to fill up, even if you're on public transit, public transit has to fill up too. Every car, every every truck, every, every delivery to a store, all of that works into those prices. Same with our rebates on electricity and, and natural gas is we wanted to reduce the cost of everything and it's working. We're uh, being, uh, surprisingly being able to offset almost all of the, uh, the the inflationary increase at the federal level. And that was the purpose of it. And that's why we did that, that type of approach. But we also knew that there were particular vulnerable groups um, that were that were going to need the extra help. And so um, anyone who is on AISH or uh, income support or a senior's benefit got it automatically. Anyone who is a, a, a senior over 65 gets it. And as well as those uh, those with uh, parents with, with kids, right. the kids are also getting those transfers. And we are working, as I mentioned, on a, a fix to ensure that anyone who has a disability payment at the, at the federal level from CPP disability or gets that disability tax credit, we're working to try to find a, a fix to our system so that you can apply for that as well. Because our intention was to include anyone who um, who falls in that category. I know it doesn't include everyone, but again, that's the balance that we have, is that we want to be generous for those who we know are really, really hurting, and we want to make sure that everybody has some broad base so that they can get the support. But we're, we're just, we are just we just have to be responsible right. with how, with how we, we, we steward taxpayer dollars. Okay, we're going to pause for a break right now. When we come back, my first caller is Bill from Calgary, and not surprised he has a question on the surplus and in the budget. I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with Premier Danielle Smith. More of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. If you're just joining us today, you are indeed listening to Your Province, Your Premier. Heard every Saturday morning for listeners throughout Alberta and Edmonton on 630 Chad, right here in Calgary on QR Calgary. It's your opportunity to be heard by Premier Danielle Smith. All right, just before the break, I promised that we would be going to the phones with Bill from Calgary on a surplus budget question. Bill, you are on with Premier Danielle Smith. Go ahead. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, Premier, I'm wondering if uh, the UCP have uh, done any calculations as to what the surplus would have been if the NDP had been in power. Because they, uh, we all know they capped, they capped production, they discouraged investment in the industry, and 
if they'd have been in power, production really increased, <clears throat> excuse me, over the last uh, number of years, and it wouldn't have been allowed to, I, I believe, under the NDP. Uh, their yeah, think, focus has been on the global side and, and not to really help Albertans. Yeah, I, I, I'm going. I'm looking. Hopefully, my um, my communications folks can send me the, the the stats that our finance minister often likes to share. But I can tell you one of the things that was important for us to do is that we knew when we came in that we were spending more per capita than the big other provinces, Ontario, Quebec, and British Columbia, to a tune of $10 billion more. That's how expensive our civil service was. And so with the restraints in, in managing year-over-year increases, we're we're now just below that uh, three big province average. And I, I think that that's appropriate for us to make sure that we maintain that. So I think that the, that the number I have heard from the, the finance minister say is that if the NDP had continued on their trajectory, we wouldn't be talking about surpluses all we'd be talking about a six billion dollar deficit so that's i think something to keep in mind is that we we inherited a very expensive government that was running massive deficits at a time when all of our revenues were down we'd lost 183,000 jobs people were leaving this province the energy minister at the time said oh go get a job in bc if you want to wait it wait through the problem and we have massively turned that around not only cover covering all of recovering all of the jobs post-covid but continuing to see record influx into the province, record investment, record growth. And so those are the kind of things that allow us to, to earn more revenue so that we can sustainably put more money into, into programs and services again, but also make sure that we continue to maintain surpluses. That is going to be the guarantee. It's why we have a balanced budget law coming through with this with this uh, the, this budget document so that we have surpluses, so that we can put it to debt repayment, we can put it into savings. Premier Smith, the argument could be made that one of the reasons for the budget surplus is because of the rising uh, price of oil and gas and here we are once again we're on that uh, roller coaster cycle of uh, of oil prices you have budgeted for a, a reduction in oil prices for this budget is that a realistic number could it fall lower uh, it is it is a realistic number one of the things that the finance minister shared with me is that all of the, the private sector forecasters, their average is uh, to for, be forecasting $5 higher for WTI than we have. And so I'm, I'm so pleased that we have returned to that kind of prudent, forward-looking planning, uh, because you have to be aware that if, if we do see a, a decline for some reason, that's that's going to have an impact on our overall revenues. That's, that's one part of it. The other thing I'd say is that what has occurred in the last few years is that there's a number of oil sands companies that are now at payout. We have a, a pretty generous um, uh, approach that we take with it, with our energy sector providers, with both conventional and in oil sands, where we allow them to pay a lower royalty while they're paying off the capital investment. Because we want to make sure that more they have the money for more capital investment because it generates more revenue. So there's a number of companies that are, are now switching to the new model. And it's part of the reason we've seen an increase. We also have Trans Mountain that will be coming online in the next year. So that once that increase. capital debt is paid off, then the royalties yeah. increase coming into it, the province. It does, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so that's one part of why we're seeing more royalties. The other thing I'd say is that we're, we're seeing an in, uh, the Trans Mountain Pipeline is going to be, uh, construct the construction will be completed, so we'll get more barrels to the market, which means more revenue for us. And in addition, once we can get 
our product to the coast and put it on a tanker, it can go anywhere in the world, which means we can get higher prices, which means that differential will decrease. So I feel like not all of that has been factored in to because we there are still some uncertainties around those kinds of things. But to me, that I feel very, very comfortable that the numbers that we have in this budget are are very conservative. And, and we want to make sure that we're, we're balancing the budget and generating surpluses off those conservative estimates so that if it happens that we have a better year, then we'll have more surplus, more debt repayment, more money going into our Heritage Savings Trust Fund. Sure. I think that's what people expect $16 of us. billion dollars is the number I read to balance the budget from oil and gas dollars. $16 billion. That's a lot. Anyways, I, uh, on to... And let me, but let me, let me answer that, that uh, uh, if, I, if I could, because part of what we're seeing is that we did have those one-time payments on affordability that are going back to Albertans. And so, um, it, you know, have, it has to appear somewhere on the, uh, on, on the, uh, uh, the income statement. But that, I look at that as a, a tax rebate. I look at that as us giving back some of those dollars. So those are, are going to be just a, a temporary payment because we're dealing with an inflation crisis that we haven't seen for a generation. So okay. that's, that's one part. The other thing I'd say is that also on the, what has to appear on the income statement is the dollars that would have otherwise gone into general revenue that are now staying in the Heritage Savings Trust Fund. And so that's going to allow us to continue to, to increase and grow that fund. So I, I I share the concern that we want to make sure that over time, we are gradually weaning ourselves off that dependence on royalty revenue as we pay off debt. That will free up $3 billion that are currently going to finance charges. As we also shore up our investments over time, that's going to generate new revenues for us to be able to also wean ourselves off of that reliance on royalty revenue. That's why that framework is so important, is that it looks it looks 10 years out to a time that we will not be reliant on that roller coaster anymore. All right, let's switch gears. A couple of health-related questions. Uh, Grant has been holding since just before the show started. So, uh, Grant, calling in from Old, you're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Go ahead. Uh, good morning, Wayne. Uh, good morning, Premier. Uh, I have a couple of questions. I'll keep it short. Uh, there's, I have about a thousand questions, but I'll keep it quite short because I was told to. Uh, my my fingers on the button. Alberta mental, <laughs> Alberta mental health uh, is broken. My brother can't even get a psychiatrist in Calgary. What are we going to do about these things? You know, I've been in the office too with him in Alberta mental health. I also am a bipolar. He's bipolar. It's pathetic. What are we going to do about it? It's sad, you know, with all the money. My dad worked in the oil industry here and made a lot of money to, to pay enough money to, to, to make me and me and my brother live a good life. And we need help, okay? And my brother can't get a psychiatrist in Calgary. What, what's going to be done about that? Grant, thanks for your comment. Sorry, Maine, I'm getting some feedback. Okay, it's gone now. Look, I'm, I'm sympathetic because I, I think I've told you before about uh, my Uncle Larry. He also had uh, psychiatric issues. He was in the Pinocchio Hospital for much of his life. And when he was released, there wasn't proper support. And he ultimately ended up um, dying at a very young age. And so I, I'm highly motivated to solve this problem because I think everyone has a personal family story. And I was delighted when I came in to find out that we had hired uh, Marshall Smith um, in our mental health and addictions area as chief of staff. I've made him my chief of staff, and I've done that for a reason, because when he showed me his vision of this eight-year strategy that we have and said, we're, we're four years in, we've got four more to go, 
I, I knew that we needed to fund it. When, when, I, when UCP first got elected, there was $87 million being spent on mental health and addiction. We've moved that into a separate portfolio, now being led by Nick Milliken, and it's $275 million a year. It's an historic level of funding. Uh, we, we have never spent that much um, money on mental health. Now, again, we can't solve all the problems we inherited all at once. We're taking a huge bite on the addiction side because we know that mental health and addiction are often related issues. So we're building out 10 recovery communities. We've got our first one in Red Deer. We're building one on the blood reserve that will allow for us to use that model on other First Nations. And and we and we will we will continue to to work the strategy. I, I know you're frustrated, and I, I know that it. Uh, it uh, I know that a lot of families are experiencing what you are, but but do know the kind of investments we're making. We've got a, a complete 100% commitment to making sure everybody gets the, the health and care they need. All right. John is calling in from Calgary on an EMS question. Go ahead, John. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Uh, hi, Premier Smith. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I've been a paramedic for 36 years, and I've spent the 20, last 25 years in the hallway, uh, which is not a good use of resources. Uh, under your strong leadership, we're finally starting to see some movement and a decrease in red alerts. So I would tell you we need to keep the momentum going. Uh, when the NDP was in, all we did was hire more EMS supervisors. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think the, the boat's starting to turn in the right direction. We need more transfer of care um, capacity in hospitals where nurses can take our our EMS patients and get us back out on the street. So my question for you is what are the long-term plans? Because we still do have ambulances parked and we're, you know, we're seeing improvement, but um, we're not there yet. So I'll, I'll leave that question with you. And again, thank you for being the only premier in my career to uh, address this. I'll let you my, speak. You know, my pleasure. George, George Porter um, made me aware of this problem going back to when I was in politics the first time. And I know that the um, that, that paramedics have been doing town halls, and I went to one in Airdrie, and I knew it was still a problem. So that's why we made it a priority. I can I can tell you, you don't even have to wait long term. This is this, we we identified this as a problem that we need to solve. And so just to give you a, a sense, Wayne, that's the other thing that happened last week is we issued our 90 day report. So I can tell you some of the of this of the numbers associated with what our last caller was talking about in Edmonton last year. There was a, a thousand red alerts that took place in the month of January. This year, there was about 80. That was like over a 90% reduction in the number of red alerts. And that's when there aren't enough ambulances available to do all calls, that they have to prioritize it to only the most urgent. Similar similar uh, story in Calgary. They, they weren't quite as acute last year. I think it was around 300 of those calls that we have. But we've reduced that uh, about 54%. And the way we've done it, is that yes, we'll we'll add more paramedics definitely, but it's the transition when the paramedic arrives at the at the hospital. So we're hiring 114 full-time equivalents in each of our 16 acute care centers so that we have dedicated nursing staff that will do the the, the transfer of patients. The notion will be paramedic will show up. They'll change the information. They'll take the time to finish their charts, and then they will be back out on the road. We want 100% of our paramedics to spend less than 45 minutes at the uh, at, at, uh, dropping off patients. And I'm so pleased to see we're well on our way there. We have already started rolling out these 
uh, dedicated teams on site to start with some of that handoff. That's why you're beginning to see the improvement. But once we've hired all of those positions, I, I, I think that you're going to see in the in the next uh, couple of months that we're hi- that we're hitting those targets. All right. Uh, text message from Ched. Uh, one of dozens. Uh, are there any thoughts regarding a foster parent compensation increase? Foster parents have not changed in five years for the child's mm-hmm. basic maintenance. Skill fees have not changed since April 1st, 2012. Uh, food has risen. Fuel and vehicle costs have risen, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's an advertising campaign taking place currently to obtain more foster parents, while lack of respect and compensation is driving current foster parents away. Yeah, I, th- I think we made a um, we we made sure that our affordability payments went to every every family that was a, a caregiver of children. So that would include foster parents. But I, I take your point. The um, we we have identified there are certain uh, areas that hadn't received funding increases for quite some time. So I'm glad you've raised this one. One of them was the disability workers. We'd heard that disability workers hadn't received a change in their contract pay uh, in their contract since 2014. So we identified that we resolved that issue, and we're hearing a few others. So let me take this away and I'll talk to our children's services minister, Mickey Amory, because the, the work our foster parents do is so vitally important because it, it gives a safe home to kids who are going through some pretty tough times. So I, I'll, um, I'll take that back away with me. If it's one of those areas that we miss, then we can address it in the next budget. Okay. Terry from Edmonton is texting in and said, the majority of Albertans feel left out in the budget. Seems we spent too much money on schools, health, social programs, nurses, doctors with little return. We need a better result. Well, I, you know, I guess I would I would uh, push back against that because uh, look, I I inherited a, a system where the every single day I was hearing that the system, our health system, was in crisis and was about to collapse. And I can tell you that we have brought stability to the system and improvement in the space of uh, of ninety days. That the that uh, Dr. John Cowell's been in the position. We've seen a decrease in our surgical wait times, taking. Patients who'd been on way too long, beyond well beyond medically necessary or medically recommended period of time off the list, 800 of those, reduced another 30, a total of 3,600 on that list. We uh, have also, as the paramedic who just called in said, that we've, we've already improved the system so that we have a more efficient drop-off so that paramedics are out being able to do more calls and that nursing staff are being, are being supported. But that's quite miraculous, really, to be able to have that kind of turnaround in 90 days. We've got more to do, obviously. And it's why we have to do our next major step, because part of what's putting so much pressure on our hospitals is that people don't have a family doctor. People don't have that first line of defense when something goes wrong. So we've got a $2 billion investment to create communities of care. So family doctor, nurse practitioner, and other allied health professionals, we're rolling that out over the next few years. Yeah, it it takes time to do that. But we know that because we have already seen so much progress in healthcare, we're going to have more confidence that, uh, that that we can continue on that. When it comes to education, we have had two and a half years where our, our kids in school have gone through a really difficult time. We've had learning losses that have occurred, and we've also had mental health issues. So we've made another historic investment to make sure that we're dealing with the mental health kids, specifically in schools, so that we can address any issues now so those kids can go on to thrive. And in addition, uh, I think the stats just came out, our, our K-3 to rollout of language arts and math, so well received by parents. And we, we're beginning to close that learning gap because one of the things about the language arts program 
program that we had to bring in is we had to get a, a return to phonics in, in schools because some kids can only read by learning phonetically. And we had to return to the old math so the parents and grandparents could help their kids with their math homework again. So those two things are, are showing major improvements. So I, I, I appreciate that we can't solve all the problems at once, but Healthcare and education are absolutely essential to get right. People expect us. It's the lion's share of the budget. And I, I think we have made massive progress in the in the last number okay. of, of months. And we're going to continue doing it. All right. Murray is phoning in from Edmonton. Uh, Murray, good morning. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Uh, vagrancy law. What's that all about? Okay. So every day in my neighborhood in Edmonton, and trust me, you would not want to live here. I talk to police. The general consensus is we have nowhere to take you murray other than a cell for 24 hours or until you sober up so if murray me is on a sidewalk smoking meth for 30 days police really can't do anything can Al- can alberta come up with our own vagrancy law to be able to take murray against his will and put him in a mental health facility or is that a ottawa thing and one final thing I am happy that UCP is taking steps to help with homelessness and all this, but I am completely saddened to hear that Alberta government has decided to demolish the old Edmonton Remount Centre. 430 beds, complete. I don't care if it costs $50 million to open that thing up, and neither do the police. There's a receiving door in the back. They can drive Murray in. Take care, Murray. Good luck. Daniel Smith, can we come up with our own vagrancy law, or is that an Ottawa thing? Look, we've we've already said, and this is part of the reason Mike Ellis has taken action to embed Alberta sheriffs in Calgary and Edmonton, is for that exact reason. I mean, as he likes to say, that we're going to be caring on the side of helping people get connected with the programs as one part of it, but we're not going to have any tolerance for public disorder. Uh, you have a right to walk past a doorway and not inhale a secondhand crystal meth smoke. And that's that's the reason why we're taking this pilot project in Calgary and Edmonton, which will last for about about 15 uh, weeks. When it, when it comes to the Remand Center, j- just know I, I asked that question. The, almost the first day I was on the job of uh, of Marshall, I said, can we do something with this? And the problem is it would take tens of millions of dollars and at least four years to bring it up to a standard that we would be able to, to make it usable for the purposes that we want, which is why we're, we're doing a different approach. It's why we're building out our recovery communities. We can build them faster. We can build them smaller. And we can also build them with the proper program design because it, it's not just enough to, to put 430 people in um in in something that was was is more like a jail cell you've got to create a community you've got to make sure that they've got therapy in the morning and they're doing chores in the afternoon that they're learning how to shop they're learning how to cook they're learning how to do basic skills you're te- you're, you're helping them uh, wean off uh, addictions if they have it you're connecting them with mental health supports and you're giving them the capacity so that when they're done their program whether it's a month or six months or a year they can get back out into the community with the first job so i i, I want us to get away from this idea that it's just about having a place to, 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 to sleep at night. It's about an entire system of care that we need to put into place if we're going to restore individual agency and get people back. So that's the reason why we've taken an alternative approach. We will ultimately at the end be able to support 10,000 people a year through our treatment beds, not a single user fee will they have to pay. We, we removed the $40 per day user fee that was in place by the, the prior government. I also got a note from Marshall 
just reminding people, you can get immediate counseling support as well. Just dial 211, uh, go to counselingalberta.ca. There's no wait list. You call in the morning and you'll have your first session that day. So that's for our previous caller as well. We, we have a huge investment that we're making in this area. It requires a lot of pieces, but our end goal is to get a person restored so that they can go on to do what they're meant to do in life. We're, we're just not going to sustain people and give up on them. That's that's not the approach we want to take. All right, let's uh, switch gears and uh, talk about long-term care. That's the question from Al in Calgary. Go ahead, Al. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, Danielle, you speak very quickly and sometimes it's, it's hard to, uh, to follow, but you spoke last week to a caller about long-term care beds and the number of people that had died during COVID. And you said that the majority of people uh, that were in long-term care were in private facilities, and therefore, of course, there would be more deaths in those facilities. I checked out that statistic. It's not true. In Canada, we have 54% of um, long-term care beds are um, are publicly owned. Only 46% are private. In Alberta, it's more like um, 46% public and only 27% private. I don't know where the other 27% are. So that was one thing. And secondly, I just wanted to remind you that you speak often of the crisis that we have in healthcare or had in healthcare and education. And yet uh, your two ministers who apparently messed up on those departments are back in their same portfolio. How do you explain that? A couple of things. You know, I, I think we probably uh, shouldn't debate statistics since it didn't sound like maybe I um, uh, didn't sound like we had the full picture in front of us. So I can look in and see if there is some breakdown that we can do of the number of beds that are private. It's probably a, a private and not for profit. So that's what I would say. But but I, I guess the overriding point I would make is that we have a mixed system in Alberta that includes public, it includes private, it includes not for profit. We accepted the recommendations of the report, was making sure that we had better pandemic planning, better communication, so that, and better standards across the board. There's a concern about staffing, which we recognize that we, and we have this problem across our healthcare system, that we have a very high number of part-time and casual staff. And so when you get into a crisis, you're sharing staff between facilities. And if somebody's infected, you could end up seeing that spread go between facilities. So th those are all uh, observations that were made. And I, I think the question of whether it's private, public, or not-for-profit is, 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 is not the one we should be answering. It's how do we get all of them operating on these new standards? So that's how I would, I would put that to you. And when it comes to, um, to healthcare, I mean, Jason Copping, I think he's only had, he only had a year on the job when I got in. And when I met with him, he had a ton of great reform ideas, but we needed to accelerate them. That's why I brought in Dr. John Cowell is that we needed the alignment from the premier's office, the minister's office, and the official administrator so that the public service would have the confidence to know that they could move ahead quickly on the things that we cared about and so that we could elevate things so that they could be addressed. And that's the reason why I kept the health minister in place is I knew that he had already gone a large step towards the way of identifying the problems that needed to be solved, but we needed the political will and the confidence in the public service to solve them. And I'm delighted to see 90 days in, 
They're performing at a level that I never would have expected. We've got more work to do, but it is all trending in the right direction. We've got surgery, surgery wait times that are down. We have got our waiting times at hospital for paramedics down. We've got a more efficient process that we're implementing so that patients can get through the system, treated and released or admitted. And now we just have to work on primary care. So we're 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 going full full guns a blazing here. As for education, I would say that um, part of the the issue was that we had a curriculum from before that was not serving the needs of our kids. And and I would say the reason I have such confidence in Adriana Lagrange is she took a lot of of hits from the Alberta Teachers Association who were trying to derail. The, uh, the efforts that we had to bring through the curriculum and the fact that we brought in a curriculum that allows kids to get better l- reading responses and allows kids to be able to better l- learn math. That is on, that is because of her great leadership. She just, again, we just needed a little bit more time to communicate with parents, bring it through a little bit more slowly. And I'm fine with the, the fact that we're pacing it out more slowly, but I'll tell you the next thing that's coming. The next thing that's coming is the rollout of the science curriculum. And why do we need new science curriculum? Well, part of what we're putting in there is we're helping K to three kids learn a little bit more about our agriculture sector and where their food comes from. That's an important thing. We're also going to make sure that we've got a balanced approach and how we teach kids about where energy comes from and what our resource industry is about and 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 balance that with the environmental issues that need to be to be taught. All right, Those I'm are going, going to have to be to, very I'm important conversations to, and we're going to continue with it. Yep, I have to interrupt you. We're going to have to pause for a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Danielle Smith. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on your problem. Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier, your opportunity to speak or text with Premier Danielle Smith one on one. So let's get right to those text lines. We've got a full board of phone calls that we're probably not going to get to, but uh, I wanted to hit this text message from Yvonne. Uh, anything for rent control. If the Premier would let us know when this will happen in Alberta, I'm getting hit with 15.66% increase just renting. Please let us renters know if these increases will stop anytime soon. Uh, we, we will not bring in rent control, but we do have programs for rent support because we know that part of what we have to do is make sure that we build more and more rental accommodation, multifamily housing. And I'm, I'm uh, here's the issue that we're facing. People want to come to Alberta. And so it's our job as regulators uh, and legislators to work with our provincial counterparts to make sure that land is being released, that the uh, development permits are being approved efficiently and construction is getting going. And, and so those are the things that I'm focused on. I know it's I know it creates some short-term pain, which is why we may have to address some, um, some, some uh, rental subsidy support. We already have programs in place. And so I would encourage you to call your, um, your constituency office and see if they can connect you with any programs that will assist with that uh, if, you, if you meet the income thresholds. But, um, but I, I'll put that on my radar to, to, to talk with Matt Jones about because we've got a temporary um, crunch that's happening because we, we need to build more spaces, then, then we may have to, to revisit how we might be able to, to assist more people with that rental support. All right. Todd is calling in from St. Paul, and I'm not sure what the question is about. So, uh, Todd, my finger's on the button. Uh, go ahead. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Uh, hello. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, Premier Smith, uh, I'd like to congratulate you on the, on the budget. I think it's a good balance between making things better and and maintaining a surplus uh, to pay off all that debt that the NDP had built up. Um, I'm a longtime follower of Alberta politics, and my concern is with the uh, the increased, what I think is monopolization of Alberta's uh, print media. Uh, newspapers are being taken over by Eastern corporations, and it seems to be a, with a clear bias 
against conservatives. Uh, when Notley was premier, I would look really hard, try and find any articles that could be critical of her. And uh, if I was lucky, I'd find one a month. Uh, now we see people like Don Braid. Uh, he's he's writing three critical articles about you a, a week, uh, and uh, in an extremely biased way, uh, in my opinion. Uh, clearly intended to sway voters towards progressives. Um, and it's not just the largest, larger papers. I'm, I'm seeing it in the rural papers as well being taken over by, by the corporations. Uh, so I have two questions for it. Uh, number one, do you think you're getting treated fairly by Alberta's media? And uh, number two, um, as a province, can, can the government do anything to promote a print media that is less monopolized uh, so we see more fairness in the political discussion? Thank you. <laughs> It's it's a it's a difficult area to get into, and you know that I, I come from the, the media background, so I'm I'm always grateful for these kinds of forums where I have an opportunity to speak directly to uh, to Albertans, and I'll keep doing that. I think it's my job to work on getting my message out, and so we are on all the social media tra- channels. We do print. Uh, we we do our. Um, uh, I do I do regular videos. I do lots of speeches and I, I have this time with you every week to be able to try to counter some of the messages that I that I see as well out there. I, I remember when I first got started in media and I got sent up to cover the legislature and Ralph Klein was premier at the time. I remember he got a question from the CBC and he said, oh, that's so typical of the CBC. What a dumb question. He ended up berating this guy for about three minutes. And I, I, I thought, you know what, Ralph Klein, who also came from the media, also felt like he never got a, a fair ride. He used to have, I think, the five C's of journalism, chaos, confusion, conflict, and there's a couple of others. So this has always been thus. The media have a job to do. I respect that. And it's my job to make sure that uh, I do these kinds of, of availability so that I can get my own message out. Yeah, I think it's uh, fairly standard practice that politicians walk around with a target on their backs. Uh, it is the truth. For the we media. do. We, we, get into, we get into it knowing it, and it's, it's, uh, it's up to us to try to make sure that we correct the record. All right, Ken. Uh, Ken, the truck driver, has a text message. Good morning, Premier Smith. Can you please tell me how does an electric car contribute to the cost of infrastructure? A gasoline tax is collected from regular cars. They don't pay a gas tax. If they don't pay a gas tax at the pumps, I think it would be fair to charge an electric car an extra $1,100 per year at time of registration. At least that's the amount of tax I pay per year on average. I, I want I want us to be very clear about what the direction I think we need to take in Alberta because I have asked these questions about how much electric cars cost to add to the grid because we we just don't have the infrastructure to be able to support it. And my understanding is we would have to do transformers updates in all of our network, which cost you know forty thousand dollars for every upgrade that we do on every city block. The um, I think I've heard an estimate somewhere in the order of a hundred to hundred and twenty billion dollars of additional power grid upgrades we would have to do if everybody wasn't on electric car and home heating was all on electric pumps. And everybody's already telling me that they think that their distribution and transmission costs are too high. So I want people to understand I'm looking at that and saying, is that the right path for Alberta? Or is the right path for Alberta? for us to invest in hydrogen infrastructure. And so you'd have hydrogen filling stations, hydrogen uh, uh, large haul, uh, long haul vehicles, 
hydrogen passenger vehicles. I know Toyota is rolling out a few in our market. Maybe Hyundai will be next. Uh, my two ministers, Rajan Sani and Brian Jean, were over talking to um, uh, just in South Korea, talking to Hyundai about how they might be able to invest here. And that allows for us to build up more traditional infrastructure with a traditional fuel that can be taxed in the traditional way that can go into paying for uh, for the roads. But you're, you're quite right that there is a lack of parity here. There are going to be future costs associated with uh, electric cars. I mean, we've got to figure out a way to make sure that those costs are internalized. But right. I, I think that there's going to be a lot more options out there. We have time for one more question. We're going to go to Stephen in Knee Hill on solar projects. Go ahead, Stephen. Yes, Premier. Um, we have a huge concern here with prime farmland being covered with solar panels. And it does not make any sense to be taking prime farmland for solar projects when there's all kinds of areas that could be used for this stuff besides taking out farmland for them. Thanks for your comment on that. I, I have felt the same way because I, I look at, for instance, Edmonton and West Edmonton Mall and think, wouldn't that be amazing if all of that was covered with solar panels? Uh, because not only would they be able to be maintained by the building owner, but also generate electricity closer to where infrastructure already exists. And it doesn't end up sterilizing any of our, our arable lands. So do know that I, I support those kinds of projects for solar. I wish we would see more of it. Maybe we've got some barriers in place that are preventing that kind of rollout. But in, in Edmonton in particular, there was a big controversy when EPCOR wanted, or Capital Power, I can't remember which one, wanted to put a bunch of solar panels right there in the beautiful River Valley. And I opposed that project as well for the exact same reason. So I think we need to work a little bit more with our solar industry to identify appropriate places and also identify prime agriculture land and in particular irrigation land and say, you know what, uh, the principal use of that should be producing food. So it's a conversation we have to have. It's a tough one. I understand that. But I, I understand the frustration that you're experiencing. So we're, we're, we're going to have, uh, I think we'll have to develop some better policy around it. Premier Smith, it was a busy show today. We still have literally dozens of texts coming in on the uh, QR line, uh, both in Calgary and in Edmonton. Uh, we still had some phone calls. So we'll just have to try to address those in future shows. Thank you for joining us today. You bet. See you again next week. Thanks you so much, You betcha. Wayne. I'm Wayne Nelson. You've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.